Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. This week again, we're on the topic of missions. We're also speaking about love, loving people with God's love. We fully understand that God, in His matchless grace, is just, perfect in His righteousness, love, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, a God of veracity, a God of immutability. He has eternal life. And these are some of the things that reveal his essence. So how does he deal with the heathen? Now, he's not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. And yet, there are so many, many people that apparently never hear the gospel. How does this grace appear unto them? Well, first we have the principle of ignorance. The principle of ignorance. The principle of ignorance is simply people that have not reached the age of accountability, babies, children. Secondly, it's dealing with people who do not have the fortunate opportunity to have proper faculties for learning. And the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for all of their sins because in the unlimited atonement, in the unlimited atonement, the Lord Jesus Christ took care of all of their sins. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, 5.15, 5.19, in Titus 2.11, and 1 John 2.2, 2, and John 3.16 are some of the beautiful verses on the unlimited atonement. Therefore, in the unlimited atonement, God has paid for man's sins. But man does not have to accept that payment, and therefore, he reaches the age of accountability, and with the age of accountability comes responsibility. And it's the responsibility of his free volition. Depending upon culture, opportunity, depending upon environment, social structure, determines the age of accountability. In America, possibly, the age of accountability could be as low as five years of age. In certain heathen lands, it might be 14 or 17 or even 18. It would vary tremendously according to culture, environment, opportunity, and social structure. So the age of accountability cannot be determined by us. But the light that lighteth every man, John 1, 9, or Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we enter into the principle of God consciousness. Now, God consciousness simply means people are aware of a supreme God. That's all it means. They do not have information pertaining to the gospel, but they are aware of a supreme being, of a God. And every single person is aware of God. And God has done this through his justice, through his mercy, through his integrity, through his veracity, through his righteousness. So he has made everybody aware of God consciousness. If a person goes positive in their will, toward God consciousness, 
Then God makes sure that he gets the information about the gospel to them. The information about the gospel then is brought to them through the justice of God. And if they go positive toward the gospel, then they are saved. But if they go negative in their will to God consciousness, then God gives them up to disapprove of their life and they remain to be unbelievers. Now, gospel hearing is mankind receives information about Jesus Christ and goes positive volition toward the gospel. He receives information and goes positive volition toward the gospel. Now, God will always be faithful to those who are positive to God consciousness on the basis of Acts 17.27, John 17.17, 17, and Jeremiah 29.13. In Jeremiah 29.13, we'll find God when we seek Him with all our heart. And so, God always honors these kind of people. So, there is no question about it. Man has the ability to reach God consciousness through the exercising of his own faculties. In Romans 1, 20 and 21. Man has the ability to reach God consciousness through, the, through his own faculties. Therefore, often people have asked, do babies go to heaven? And the answer to that is, they certainly do. Christ paid for their sins. They had not reached the age of accountability. They are not responsible to God consciousness. And they go to heaven through the grace of God. Now, we have this tremendous principle pertaining to the faithfulness of God. In the various fields of the world, in the various opportunities that we have, how do we decide exactly where to go. Often we'll read a missionary book by C.T. Studd or Moffat or William Carey and right away we get a call to go to wherever they went. Now that's possible but more times than that, not, it's not practical. It's possible. Well, how, how can we determine where God wants us to serve? Well, we determine where God wants us to serve based upon where people seem to be positive in their volition. Historically, biblically, it's wherever they seem to be positive in their volition. For example, in John 4, in Matthew 9, Jesus would often say things like this, the fields are white and ready to harvest. The fields are white and ready to harvest. Positive volition. God has always some areas open where people have positive volition. There are certain third worlds now where there is much more positive volition than there are in other third world countries. There are certain areas where the movement of God is going on in positive volition. There are places in Europe where positive volition is much better than other places. So we have, throughout church history, 
amazing things that God has done in areas where believers discovered positive volition people in their unsaved state. Let, let me illustrate it to you. Plenty, the amazing governor of Pontus, wrote Trojan, and he said, there are so many believers here that I'll run into them if I'm not confined to the mansion. They're everywhere. Queen of Abyssinia, by the way, that's in the bush of Africa, she took a couple of captives from Tyre, and she was about to have them beheaded. And they told her that they were very excited about dying. And she said, why? And they said, because we're going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And they said, we're going to a place, a very exciting place, called heaven. And there'll be no more sickness, no more disease, no more sin, no more death. And God has prepared a place for us in heaven. So how long do we have to wait before you do this thing? She got so excited that she accepted Christ on her knees and released them and made them a part of her governing force in the bush of Africa. Well, that's how God seems to work. Thaddeus went to Persia, and when he got to Persia, uh, he discovered that all kinds of people had been saved. You see, we're going to show you in some historical accounts this morning how amazingly areas had already been ministered to when nobody thought they'd ever been there. No one had ever been there. And come to find out, the grace of God had appeared to people in some way. And Thaddeus went to Persia and led scores and scores of people to Christ. Persia wasn't supposed to be even a place where anybody would even consider the gospel. But he went there and people were completely responding to positive volition. Pontius of Alexander accepted the Lord and then he went to become, after a while, missionary to India and when he became a missionary to India, he found scores and scores of people already saved in India when supposedly nobody had ever been there. God's faithfulness in the 6th century A.D., the Nestorians went to China, and these folks led 3 to 4 million people to Jesus Christ. And this is recorded on the Xi'anfold tablets in a certain province, but in the 6th century, 3 or 4 million were led to Jesus Christ in China by these Nestorians who had been driven out of their own country. Why is this so beautiful and why is this so true? It's true because where there's no grammar, no language, they only live by primitive objects such as the sun, the moon, the stars, and words like that, and animals. God always breaks down that barrier with his faithfulness, with his love, and with his amazing grace. So he always comes through. God does not coerce anyone in the human race. 
It's a matter of John 3.18 and 3.36 making a decision for Jesus Christ with their own free volition. So he does not coerce them. Now then, I want you to, to see that God's faithfulness has always been to so many different generations. For example, a French monk decided that he wanted to go to Denmark and he began to preach the gospel. And he found scores of people that responded to the gospel in Denmark. And then he decided to go into Sweden. And he went into Sweden and scores of people accepted Christ all through one man's initiation. Why? He found people who would go positive toward the information he was to give them. There will be people in most countries who are waiting right now to go positive toward the gospel because of their need because of what they sense because of their unhappiness they would be almost willing and ready in many cases to go positive Aaron the Red had a son called Leaf the Lucky and Leaf the Lucky took the gospel to Greenland well a storm came up a tremendous storm and he got off course and where do you suppose he landed America 400 years before Columbus. And the Indians were not too positive in their volition. So he went back to Greenland. He didn't stay in America. But Leif the Lucky led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus Christ in Greenland. An amazing ministry. Then, two Greek brothers from 1815 to 1885, Silo and Thodias, translated the Bible in the Bulgarian language and went there and found thousands and thousands of people with positive volition. They prayed where to go, where people would respect the information. And they ended up giving the information in its most beautiful fashion to the Bulgarians and then translated the Bible. In 160 to 240, Tertullian said this to the Romans. He said, whether you like it or not, we Christians have filled your, your forums, your summits, your senates, your palace. He said, we have filled the streets of Rome with the gospel despite your wickedness, despite your rejection. And he said, simple men, often without much of an education, men that have not been trained, have been used to share the dynamite of God. And he said, we have filled so much of Rome except, except your empty temples. Now, Origen went into Greece and the barbaric areas and he said that preaching the gospel to the whole world was easy. And he said we will do it in our generation and the reason that it is very easy to preach the gospel to the whole world is because the whole world needs it and therefore they have a tremendous need. And because of their suffering and emotionalism and guilt and shame and pain and substitutions in their life, 
they tremendously need the Word of God. The Word of God coincides so beautifully with history. In 396 A.D., on March 17th, there was born an unusual young man. Now, you remember, he was taken captive by some pirates and made a slave. Some Irish pirates. Then he escaped. And then he had this tremendous conviction to go back and preach the gospel. And Patrick went back to preach the gospel and evangelized until he was 95 years of age. He just preached the gospel day in, day out. 94 years of age, he was preaching the gospel. Amazing story. He was evangelical. He preached the gospel. He was very healthy, very wholesome, very exciting, and very creative. Another gentleman from 680 to 755 A.D., decided that he would go to what is now Germany. Boniface is his name. One of the reasons that they called him that was because he had a pretty face. Well, Boniface went to Germany. And it was said that he led 100,000 people to Jesus Christ. A hundred thousand people who went positive volition toward the information he gave them. I wouldn't have been good if he'd stayed home and gone, got a job in a factory and stayed there. Or decided to get married and just go to church on Sunday morning. Oh no. He went to Germany and led 100,000 people to Jesus Christ. Now there's another man who made a tremendous impact in church history. His name is Columba, not Columbus, Columba. Columba went to some islands, Iona Island, and then several other islands. But he went to Iona Island, and there he established a missionary school. This man was supposed to be disqualified, unable to be effective. He was supposed to have had, supposedly, a speech problem. His mind supposedly wasn't good in studying, so he just goes to this little obedience to God and through the Holy Spirit's power and took the gospel to this island and to this little place called Iona. And then it spread into other islands and thousands were saved. And furthermore, scores of them were sent out to preach the gospel from those islands. So God's faithfulness has always been there. So in Acts 17.6 tells the story of how Jesus Christ called not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, and those that were not. And he called these individuals not many mighty because many people who think they're mighty are always self-righteous. He didn't call the self-righteous. He didn't call the proud and the arrogant. He didn't call those who felt that they were better and secretly entertained feelings of grandeur about themselves. He called individuals who did not appear to be much in the eyes of the world. So, perhaps you can picture what some of the cities heard when these, this little band of men and women would come into their area. 
Oh, who's coming in our area? Well, they don't have a good education. Possibly it would equal, in some cases, the fourth grade today. What are they doing? Well, everywhere they go, they cause trouble, problems. They evangelize. As a matter of fact, by the time they got in Acts 17.6, they turn the world upside down. The gospel has gone forth by individuals, and individuals were used as a little individual to go to China, the Iona Islands, to go to Ireland, and to, and to go to Bulgaria, Germany, and India, and the bush of Africa. It's amazing how one individual who believed God and who obeyed the gospel could do so much to affect an entire country. It's strictly amazing. And I don't believe there'd be any greater privilege at the beamer seat of Jesus Christ than to have that work all accomplished to know that you have gone out and evangelized and wouldn't quit and took what came your way and told people about Jesus Christ and preached the Word of God. When you consider how the Word of God has been persecuted, hated, and rejected, how individuals have belittled Christians in every single city in the world, and yet Christians are everywhere. Why? Because there are people that will not stop preaching and will not stop teaching the Word of God. And they just keep doing it, and if they die doing it, then they'll die doing it. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. That's First John 3.16 if you have your Bibles. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is a, a very interesting principle. Many people say that spirituality is intrinsically linked to helping our brother and that the spiritual life is a life where when you see another person in need, you help them. If you have and they don't have, you help them. Um, and this is, this is an aspect that is taught in the Word of God. And you can see it taught right there that God is saying not to shut your hearts off from other people when you see them, when you, to love them. And this is a commandment that you, that you love. But this is, it's, it's a very funny thing because 
really without God operating in your life in a real way, you cannot love other people the way that God loves. And he, it, it is not possible. If you try to do that, you will find that you fall short throughout through the wealth of what I have, I'm going to help other people. This is the highest form of morality. But there's a spiritual law that needs to be in place in our lives. And God wants it to be in place in our lives. Where he is loving through us towards other people. Because if we try to love, we'll find that our love falls short. And then we'll condemn ourselves. You ever been in that place where you think, wow, I just got really angry at that person. What a, what a terrible person I am. And the heart condemns you. Wow, you know, I really shouldn't have done that. And I know I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. And Oh, what a terrible thing. And your heart condemns you. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. This confidence towards God is what will bring us to a place where our heart will not condemn us. Because we know that the love of God needs to be shed abroad in our hearts by the working of the Holy Spirit. And that it's not up to us to love. It's that we, because if we try to love in our own strength, it won't work. We'll only hit a certain plateau of being able to love. And we'll give and give and give, and there'll be a point where we'll go, Man, I have given for years, and these people don't give back. They just take and they take and they take. What's, what's going on? There's something in our hearts that, because when we love out, when we try to love out of our own resource, there's a limit. There's a limit. Some people have a very high limit. And you see these people that just seem to be the kindest, most wonderful people, and, and you wonder, wow, this person is just amazing. But the reality is, is that God's love is a kind of love that is boundless and endless in resource. It's, it's a difference between having it operating in God's agape love. This is a word in the Greek that is used, which means divine love or operating in human love. And the way we operate in divine love is by admitting who we are before God and saying, God, you know, it's true. This, this person that may be standing before me, you know what? I don't love them. I don't, I don't even like them. But you know what? I am coming before you as a man or a woman and saying, but you love them, God. You love them. And you shed your blood on the cross. You love them. Their soul is worth more than all the world to you. And you know what? I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to ask you to do something in my heart. Because this is intimacy. This isn't us operating in our own little island. This is us operating in a fellowship with God. And it's a very simple fellowship. It doesn't require very much. Just honesty to God, fellowship with Him, recognition of what was done on the cross, and then asking Him, relying on Him, and saying, Fill me, God, with Your love. And I'm just going to believe by faith that You're doing it. And I'm going to walk in it. And it's amazing what then happens. Because God takes over in your life. 
And maybe a little at a time. It may, it may work that way. But, but suddenly you are operating in this partnership with God. There's, there's an operation of life that goes on in your, in your heart. Your mo- you can be motivated by love. The faith that you have in God inspires you instead of the hopelessness that you have in your own limitations. You're not limited by yourself anymore. Now you're linked up with the Almighty God. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. What an awesome history we have of people going into other lands and other cultures and loving them practically by sharing the gospel and laying down their lives that other people might know that God loves them. God sees their prepared hearts and sends people. And isn't it awesome we don't have to work it up within us. We respond to the call. We see the responsibility of what it means to love someone, to love a people group, to love a person. And we submit ourselves and receive the love of God from Him in that personal communion and fellowship. And then we have a message, and then we have the power to bring that message to people in a real way, loving them. Maybe you've never received the love of God this way in your life, talking about Christ, talking about Jesus dying on the cross. Why don't you receive Him now? Yes, right now, wherever you are, bow your head. Close your eyes. Pray a prayer in your heart, believing, God, come into my life. Save me. Love me. Love me, God. And give me love in my heart. Shed it abroad in my heart for you and for others. Pray that prayer in in Jesus' name. And he will. He'll come into your life. Do amazing things. Transform you with his love.